0: Welcome to Literary Friction. I'm Octavia Bright here with my co-host Carrie Plitt. Hi, Carrie. How you doing?
1: I'm doing really well. I'm a little over caffeinated, um, as seems to happen when we record the show. I think I drink three cups of coffee in anticipation, and then I get really jittery and sort of excited. But I'm hoping it's productive. You're
0: super because I love
1: it. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. I'm actually just responding to your caffeinated energy it's making me feel very laid back and kind of
1: luxurious that's funny because i don't feel laid back so (laughs) i'm glad i'm having that effect on you
0: (laughs) we'll bounce back and forth um so everyone welcome this is minnesota four uh, which is amazing uh, the ball keeps rolling we're going to keep rolling with it so thank you for listening and thanks for all your really lovely feedback about these little little things that we're doing it, it makes us very happy to hear
1: yeah it really does so the format for these minisodes for those of you who haven't listened yet is for the next half hour-ish we're going to have a more informal chat about books and anything else that might come up probably answer a question as we're going to do today and also after that recommend some other cultural things that we've enjoyed lately with these usual musical interludes chosen by Eddie, of course. Of
0: course. Um, and after the success of last month's Minnesota, which was about literary snobbery, today we're going to talk about guilty pleasures. So stick around for all kinds of secrets and revelations. Minnesota 3 was all about the way books, and even just reading as a pastime, are used as cultural capital and a shorthand for saying things about our identities. Uh, We talked about literary snobbery, we talked about judging other people by what they read and this all seemed to resonate with a lot of you. So now we want to turn that gaze inwards and think about guilty pleasures, those books we might not want others to know that we read because we worry about their judgment. Maybe we even judge ourselves a little bit for enjoying them. Basically, it's it's a a show about shame. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever hidden the cover of what you're reading so no one will know? Do you ever secretly judge yourself for reading something? Were you thrilled when the Kindle came out so that you didn't have to be, you know, out in the open? Is there anything that you've wanted to read, but your internalised snobberies have stopped you from picking up in a bookshop? Is there anything you've been embarrassed to buy in a bookshop? What are
1: your guilty pleasures? Or at least,
0: Carrie, what are the ones you're willing to admit to on air? Yeah,
1: so... This is an interesting question, and once again, I had a hard time answering it, and I'm going to try to talk about why. (laughs) (laughs) You are so hard to pin down. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Guilty pleasures is such a loaded word, isn't it? As Mm -hmm. you've touched upon in your intro just then. And if you listen to the show, you'll probably have guessed that, well, I'm guessing this about you as well, but we we both don't think there's much value in feeling guilt or shame about the things you or anybody else reads. Hell no. So I think we have to qualify things by saying that. Um, but that wouldn't be a very interesting show. So let's dig a little deeper. For me, reading is something that I like doing because of the way it engages my mind in a way that I believe that other media can't. And so for me, reading is pleasurable. But I also want to learn something or deeply engage with something, and that applies for fiction and nonfiction. And so I'm not necessarily looking to books for mindless pleasure. And I think when we think about guilty pleasures when it comes to reading, maybe that is the kind of thing that we're thinking about. So so books that prioritize plot over maybe You know, thinking or language or something like that, and books that maybe follow more of a formula, like a romantic comedy or something like that. I, I have to say that I'm not a big reader of those kinds of books. The whole psychological suspense thing left me totally cold. I tried to read Gone Girl. I tried to read Girl on the Train. I didn't understand them. I'm. (laughs) (laughs) I, I honestly didn't. I was kind of bored. I don't really read detective novels. Like I I guess guilty pleasures in terms of reading doesn't really qualify for me. And I guess maybe the closest thing to what culture or society might consider a guilty pleasure that I like is probably children's books so I love Harry Potter I've talked about that a lot on the show I've reread it multiple times and I'm not a rereader same goes for his dark materials trilogy which I've I've read a number of times and I love but again I don't really feel guilty about that and I see that as a huge comfort for me and and something that I love engaging with
0: that's really interesting Uh, I love psychological thrillers I love procedural crime novels um and like you, I don't. I don't feel guilty about reading them. Um, I mean, I don't feel guilty for reading what might be widely considered guilty pleasures. Like I love Stieg Larson's Millennium trilogy, uh, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo mm-hmm. books. I love Ian Rankin's Inspector Rebus novels, and I really love these mad books by a writer called David Hewson set in Rome that follow this team of detectives solving horribly violent crimes that involve Caravaggio paintings and Etruscan god mythology and sinister academics. And they're really Baroque and over-the-top and insane. But he he's a fantastic writer, so you get very drawn in. But I was thinking, I tend to listen to those books on audiobook mm. rather than read them because of when I choose to consume them. So it's usually when I'm wandering around or I'm doing chores and things like that. But I think the guilt... In, I'm like madly waving my fingers around <laughs> in quote marks the guilt and tension in my enjoyment of these books comes I guess kind of more politically and I think this is the thing about guilty pleasures when we're looking to what they mean we're almost looking to catch somebody out it's the difference between the private face and the public face Mm -hmm. so for someone who's publicly like a very haughty intellectual there's some joy in discovering that secretly maybe they love romantic fiction or something that is not about intellect that's actually just about pleasure um and kind of disposable pleasure right it's not something it's like eating a a chocolate bar rather than having a fucking nutritious balanced meal. It's about the instantaneous gratification of a, of a need rather than something that is uh, ev- evolving you in some, some way. I think that's kind of a, a part of it. So for me, like reading these, um, these crime fiction as a feminist, what does it mean to consume this kind of writing that can definitely be accused rightly of having pretty wonky gender politics, maybe objectifying female bodies, um, and yes, the ones that I'm drawn to tend to have strong female characters and be more balanced than old-fashioned examples of the genre. But still, it's complex, right? And when I read them, I don't think critically about them. I don't think complicatedly about them. I just enjoy the adrenaline. So perhaps that's, I, I, I don't know, that's something in
1: the guilt. I think that's so true. And I didn't really even think about that element of things. But I, I think you're absolutely right about this idea of catching people out. For me... Um, I think one of the reasons why I was having a lot of trouble thinking about guilty pleasures when it comes to books specifically is at this point in our culture, I think reading in itself, no matter what it is, has become a bit of an esoteric pursuit for lack of better way to describe it, Um, you know, especially in the age of television and phones and things like that, just the act of picking up a book. And I really feel this for myself, but I think it's true in the culture is a sort of Act of choosing to slow down your thinking, choosing to engage in a different way. And even if it's a page-turning book, um, at this point, it's sort of easier to just put on Netflix and sort of mindlessly consume six episodes of, of some sort of comedy. And I'm sure this is exacerbated by the fact that I work in publishing. But at this point, I'm just happy when people pick up a book, no matter what it is. <laughs> I mean, that's such a low standard. But that I think that's why I, I just don't see... Things being guilty pleasures within books because I just I just never feel shame about reading a book. I think that's a good way to be.
0: I think also, you know, guilty pleasures is a phrase that comes up a lot in reference to pop culture, right? Generally, mm. and especially music, um, but TV, totally. And I think in that context, it tends to be well, especially in the musical context, it it's related to things like nostalgia and sentiment right like Mm. embarrassing sentimentality um stuff that's supposedly considered a bit basic right and so yeah when I was thinking about it in those terms I was trying to think what my literary equivalent would be because again like I said at the top of the show it's it's about shame (laughs) there are things there are always things that make us feel shame always in every corner of our lives and so I was thinking what my literary equivalent of that would be and you know if I had a bookshelf Would there be anything that I would take off before people came around? At the moment, I'm living very nomadically, so this is not a concern for me, but you know, when I'm fixed again, it will be. And you know, really, it's probably self help books, actually. Mm -hmm. As I get older, I read more and more books by psychologists or health experts about various issues that you know become pertinent for me or my friends, or that I want to know more about in general. So things like hormones, or like living as a recovering addict, relationship problems, that kind of stuff, sexuality. I don't have any shame at all in buying those books or reading them but they reveal something about you when they're on a bookshelf Mm. in a different way from like my collection of crime fiction because they are not subtle at all in what they're signifying. So it's you know they're they're direct revelations of the issues that are uh, you're you kind of handling at that time so nothing to do with your literary taste entirely to do with your psychological well-being and um i think especially i don't know if, if this is particular to england um because of the way cultural shame operates in this very old-fashioned society but there is a real sense of of shame around admitting weakness or emotional need um, this idea that it's mawkish or uh, unintellectual to work on yourself in this way, which is something that I think is so, so, so destructive and should be shot to shit because what more can you do as a living human being than try to evolve in every way possible? Like, you get this one shot, why would you let yourself be co-opted by a society that doesn't know what the fuck it's doing half the time? Like, take responsibility for yourself and revel in the fact that you can change. Like, neuroplasticity is the best thing ever but you know it, it it is this like this fear of oversharing and of emotional honesty and having your line of self-help books next to your like romantic fiction and then your dostoevsky like what does that say about a person right and and this whole idea that the revelation of a guilty pleasure is taking somebody in to an intimacy it's mm. is sharing something very intimate about yourself
1: i think that's a really good point about Intimacy. And when I was thinking about guilty pleasures and how they function in our society and how we think about them, I was just wondering if guilty pleasures, in some way, it's about shame, but I think it's also, again, a way of expressing your identity and can be a really positive and sort of humanizing thing to show people that you aren't just somebody who only focuses on dostoevsky but also is interested in like silly self-help it's it's sort of a humble brag at the same time yeah and i was also thinking that in our culture now we really do live in the age of optimism which is that you know, culturally, I think we are just as likely to take popular music, popular literature, popular television as seriously as the sort of avant-garde or the more literary or whatever category you want to choose in that respect. And that I think it's really culturally acceptable to have guilty pleasures that are popular whether it's like Beyonce or whether it's reading self-help literature or whether it's liking girl on the train I I don't think there's a lot of I think the age that we live in there's actually not a lot of cultural shame attached to engaging with those things and so I think that's one of the reasons why I was having trouble coming up with examples
0: yeah, it's interesting. I think you're right. And that's like, we have a lot to thank postmodernism for, right? Yes. <laughs> up homo. Yeah, um, I think that's totally true. But I still think that there are, I come across people constantly, who are very invested in presenting only one side of themselves, when discussing what they culturally consume. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's down to self consciousness. That's also down to like, a very disappointingly human trait, which is wanting to position oneself in a hierarchy and if that hierarchy is intellectual then that's how people are going to do it um and it's one of my favorite things in the world when I find myself in a dynamic like that to just like flick out one of these little nuggets um because because I think we should all allow each other we should all allow one another to be more varied and complex than we do um
1: generally you know totally and you know, that being said, I don't think I have that many, quote unquote, guilty pleasures when it comes to books. But oh, my God, do I have guilty pleasures when it comes to television? <laughs> Hit me with I'm it. Such, I, well, I'm such, I feel so guilty about how much TV I watch first, really? first of all. Yeah, I, like, I, I always think of it as time I could spend reading. Wow. And I feel horribly, horribly guilty about yeah. it. Yeah. And also because I don't, you know, I do watch a lot of good television, but I also <laughs> watch a lot of television that... Um, I mean, I just I love romantic comedies. I love stupid <laughs> romantic comedies. I love like New Girl and um, what else? I don't know. All the boys I've <laughs> loved before that Netflix film. I just could I could watch those things all day and I love them and they make me so happy and their way of just totally turning my brain off. And and you're re- getting back to what you said about feeling politically uncomfortable. I totally feel that discomfort and shame around loving these narratives that are the sort of most like patriarchal <laughs> like, <laughs> oppressive white spaces possible. As yeah yes yeah, yeah, yeah. so normative yeah. and yet I can't get enough of them yeah. so, th- so that's my shame but it's funny I would never read I don't read like I don't read romantic books right I really want that space in television and film
0: yeah that's really interesting. I think you know what I think it is a little bit in everybody is it's it's seeking comfort in a paradigm that you're used to. Mm. Regardless of whether you know it's okay or not, right? Like we grew up in this paradigm of normativity or of uh, for me, you know, for some reason it manifests in violence, which you know, let's not get into. <laughs> but um yeah, there's something about the lack of challenge in those narratives when we're thinking about this in the context of of politics that's got to that's got to play a part right totally um,
1: totally and that's one of the reasons I'm attracted to comedies especially mm. you know when I really want to relax I can't watch violent stuff I can't watch drama mm. I just want to watch stupid comedy it's
0: child of the 90s baby yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know for me I think my guilty pleasure when it comes to reading is actually not reading at all mm. um, I love to not read sometimes and Yeah, just to be without words. I'm so steeped in words in my working life and in my emotional life. I write, I read, I whatever. And sometimes just to have no fucking words, just music and dancing Um, or silence. I I love silence too. (laughs) I went on a little holiday recently and I I barely read a thing. I brought a book and I literally, I think I read six pages of it. I just ate pastries and stared at the sea and stared at the face of the person I was with and it was just glorious. And... I was on holiday, so I didn't feel guilty, but when I'm in my, you know, Monday to Friday life, or in fact, fuck that, including the weekend, I usually have so much to read that for me to take time away from reading anything feels, can make me feel very guilty. And I think that's the thing that's difficult when you work in text is, you know, you never have a break, right? My working day is not nine to five. So... I can always feel guilt for being away from work, but because work is reading, usually it, it manifests as being guilt about not, re- you know, not reading. Same girl, yeah,
1: right. I, yeah, I, yeah, I completely feel yeah. you on that. Yeah. and it's funny because I think, especially if you've chosen a career in books, whether you're a writer or a publisher or an agent or something tangential to that, I think you've probably chosen that career because you love books and you feel passionate about them and you take great pleasure in reading them. And so I think there's. This weird pressure to keep feeling that pleasure in reading all the time. Um, but when it becomes your work, sometimes that pleasure isn't there. And I, I really struggle with that. Sometimes I just can't read books. yeah, And I worry that that some, says something deficient about my brain and my ability to work in books and, and feel a lot of guilt and shame around that where I try to read an, a novel and I'm just not into it and I'm not enjoying it. And I think, oh, my God, you know, should I be in this career at all? Right. Do I actually? even love books? Yeah. Whereas
0: actually, you know, ice cream is great. If you had to eat ice cream all the time, you'd probably go off it. Yeah. Right? Like it's yeah. legitimate, but it's it's something. It's definitely a thing. And welcome back to Literary Friction Minisode Four: Guilty Pleasures. Um, here we are back to give you uh, some recommendations of things that are not reading that we've been into lately. So, Carrie, what have you been up to this month? So much, Octavia. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's been very interesting to record these minisodes because it makes me—it really makes me look back at all of the cultural things that I've done and experienced, and it's been—it's been really nice to sort of replay all those things in my head. Just make you feel really self satisfied a little bit. <laughs> that's disgusting. Um, no, but also feeling guilty about watching New Girl, obviously. But um, so, <laughs> as you should, I was about to say, no, 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 no. But oh, it's I mean. so dumb. It's I, so bad. I, my sister, my mom, and I call shows like that stoopy shows. I don't know why we even <laughs> say that, but we all love them, but we know they're stupid. But I guess that's the definition of a guilty pleasure, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, first, I must. Just echo your recommendation of season two of Fleabag, which was so good. Um, And I thought a really incredibly thoughtful piece of work about faith and redemption and love that I just did not expect, especially coming off the first season. It is is a really incredible piece of work. Um, Everyone and their mother has already said this. Plus, we're at the stage of like backlash to backlash, to backlash to backlash (laughs) to backlash. So I'm not sure I have anything more to say about Fleabag, but I really loved it. And I also wanted to give a very brief shout out to two shows that I've really enjoyed this month Crazy Ex Girlfriend, which just ended with its fourth and final season, and a really sensitive, funny show about that actually takes apart the trope of romantic comedies and is also about mental illness and also has lots of songs in it. Oh my God, your (laughs) favorite. Yeah, it's like, it sounds like you wrote it. I know. Basically, it's amazing. I love it. It's on Netflix. And also Dairy Girls, which just wrapped up its second season, and I really enjoyed. So, I've had good things about that. Yeah, I, I loved it. Um, It's on Channel 4. But my actual recommendation this month is going to be a podcast. Great. Yes. As you know, I'm a total podcast junkie. This is something I also feel guilty about, riffing on further on our theme this week uh because i am seriously worried that i've lost the ability to appreciate silence Mm.
0: that is a thing yeah no
1: honestly it's it's worrying i at this point i listen to podcasts in the shower honey yeah i know do you have waterproof speakers no i just the the way our shower is i can put my phone in the corner of it and it won't get wet this sounds dangerous (laughs) as fuck (laughs) but if you saw it it's a good system it's 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 a good system um (laughs) i'm gonna get your phone a lifeboat (laughs) um but one of the podcasts that i've been really enjoying this month is called the dropout it is one of the many cultural products that have come out recently about elizabeth holmes who's the ex-ceo of theranos
0: i don't know anything about Either of those things. Tell me. Oh,
1: well. So so Theranos was this company that claimed to be able to totally revolutionize blood testing by using a machine that sort of just could test one single drop of blood Whoa. and run all these tests on it. And it was supposed to be mobile and you could use it in like on the battlefield, but also in your local drugstore, you know, really revolutionary. But it was all... A complete lie. Um, Are you the machine never worked. They raised a bunch of money. They actually rolled it out into a number of stores. I mean, it's just an insane story. Um, and at the helm of this company was this woman, Elizabeth Holmes, who, who's this fascinating character. She was obsessed with Steve Jobs. She dropped out of Stanford when she was 19 years old and started this company, um, was very domineering, seems to still believe in what she's doing, despite the fact that it's been revealed to be a total fraud. There have been, I think there's a documentary that came out, and also this book, Bad Blood, by um, John Carreyou, who exposed the whole thing. He's a journalist. But this podcast is fantastic. It's totally riveting. It's six episodes. It's made by ABC Radio and hosted by somebody called Rebecca Jarvis. And they really just look at who this woman is, how the company unfolded, and really investigate why this was allowed to happen and how it went so far. And what I like about it is it's really not sensationalist. I think it would be easy to sort of delight in the fact that this all fell apart. And I felt that way a bit about a lot of the things that came out about Fire Festival. You know, it was yeah. it was sort of a chance for people to feel smug. Yeah. Um, And this doesn't feel that way. I think it's more of a really, really serious investigation of how fraudulent things are allowed to happen and are perpetrated and what kind of character is at the center of this
0: it sounds fascinating yeah it's really
1: good okay I'm like I'm gonna download that yeah. right yeah tell me what you think
0: <laughs> I will well for me I mean having said my guiltiest pleasure is sometimes not reading at all I'm really sticking to a theme this month <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> because I actually lately I, I've just been outside a lot and it's been the best thing it's I've been so excited by spring finally happening I haven't really wanted to be inside. I haven't really been wanting to watch television. And actually, I haven't been listening to podcasts as much as I normally do either. I've been really, really enjoying uh, silence and being in nature with my thoughts or with friends. Um, I've been on some fantastic big walks on Hampstead Heath uh, and I and the wonderful and very weird Abney Park Cemetery in Stoke Newington, mm. which is just, if you haven't been and you're in London, it's so worth it. It's so rich and green and verdant and spooky and it's huge. It's much bigger than you think when you first walk in. You can really feel lost in there, and there's this grave for this guy called Lancelot Wild, and his wife Rose Rose Wilde, and it's cracked open. Definitely a zombie yeah, situation. So yeah, I've been I've been doing that. And when I was thinking about what I wanted to recommend on the show, you know, I went to see the Tracy Emin exhibition, which was phenomenal, but it's over, so it's kind of a bankrupt uh, recommendation to make if no one can go and see it. But I, I was thinking about the fact that, yeah, I've been walking a lot and walking with friends and, and actually the way that walking with somebody changes the kind of conversation that you have. And there's this beautiful thing that happens, walking alongside someone with space around you and quiet, where, you know, you're not facing each other. Um, it can free up this kind of perambulatory intimacy that is, I find, really inspiring. And I think you 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 see you see another side of somebody right especially if it's someone that you're used to sitting opposite or seeing in very urban uh context let's say i've also sometimes on my walks been listening to lizzo's album because i love you and it is full of bangers mm-hmm. so fyi if you haven't do it it's great and her message of um her message of self-love is is a genuine one you know it's not uh, a bullshit one it's genuine she's thought hard about it and and she's saying some good good stuff. But also, I did want to add one thing and um, well, two things actually that just literally happened in the last two nights. And I'd, uh, I these are both slightly personal, but I want to give them a shout out. One was seeing my friend Finn's band, UH, UH, uh look them up, play Earth, uh, Earth Hackney this week and... It was a blinding gig and they're fucking fantastic. But also, just to see someone you love who's been working hard reaching a level of success that is like tangible and public and exciting like that is just electrifying. Um, they're on Spotify, check them out. And also, uh I, is it legit to say your own work I just, <laughs>
1: just just roll with it I kind just of, roll out the log roll I'm still a little bit high it. Yeah. It, but <laughs>
0: last night um at King's Place the opera that I wrote the libretto for was was on and um it's a collaboration I've been working on for, I mean, over a couple of years, whenever we've been able to snatch the, the time for this powerhouse performer and soprano, Eloise Werner, um, with a filmmaker called Jesse Roger. And Eloise blew everyone's socks off last night. It was at King's Place London. We had an audience of about 100. Um, Jesse's film looked exquisite. You were there. My socks were blown Were they straight off. They yeah, yeah. It was, off.
1: it was a really, really powerful experience. Oh,
0: thank you. Yeah, it was just amazing. And it's it's... It's funny because you do all of this work in in the dark, you know, and so much thought and energy goes into it. And, you know, working collaboratively like that with people is such an exciting thing to do. And then suddenly it's there and it's happening. And it's, yeah, it was just it was just amazing. But it really reminded me of the value of going to see stuff live. You know, both of these things, Finn's gig, this, you know, watching Eloise. So, you know, I like to think that even if I hadn't loved both of the performers in the pictures I'm talking about, I would still have found it really electrifying. And the second half of the show last night was work being performed by this quartet called The Hermes Experiment, which Eloise sings with, which you should definitely check out as well. They're very experimental, contemporary classical quartet, and they do really, really radical stuff with sound. And it's oh, yeah, wild. Really. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are my my, my slightly uh, mawkish uh,
1: recommendations this month. Well, I uh, second all of them. Thank you. I also like being outside. <laughs> That's true. No, actually, I actually have a question for you. Yes.
0: Do you listen to things when you go running?
1: Yes. Music or podcasts? Usually podcasts, sometimes music. Interesting thanks um (laughs) uh sometimes if it's a time when birds are very chirpy i will turn off my music and just listen to to the birds yeah um especially in more natural spaces but i'm usually listening to something i'm usually listening to a podcast when i'm running
0: yeah interesting would you listen to something if you were swimming how far would it go <laughs> if i had
1: the technology yes you can get the technology you know really
0: yeah you can get headphones that you can swim underwater water listening to stuff i'm pretty sure
1: maybe I've made <laughs> that up <laughs> um i'm not much of a swimmer yeah i'm a landlubber you're a landlubber but if i got into swimming i i you think it would will. be much improved by having something to listen to that's so interesting mm, yeah no i think it's a crutch but whatever Um, And give a fuck, you can have whatever credibility. Maybe I need need. to read more self help. As long as you're not like like you. (laughs) Come round. I've learned to love silence. I'll introduce you to my bookshelf.
0: (laughs) 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 You will learn a lot, my girl. That's the answer. That's all the time we have for today. Big thanks to Rory Bowens at NTS and to Eddie Knight for editing and music.
1: Literary Friction is available as a podcast to download on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and to stream on nts.live. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram. You can also get in touch with us on email, litfriction at gmail.com or at litfriction.
0: If you like what we do, please rate, share and review. It really helps us to reach new listeners. We'll be back in two weeks with a full hour-long show featuring another author interview. Until then, I'm Octavia Bright with Carrie Plitt and this is Literary Friction.